<laughs> the broadcast, the biggest podcast in Vancouver, pretty much. We participate in light misandry. Get out of here with that <laughs> sexism. All of our societal structures are designed in ways to inherently prejudice women. I don't like to be bamboozled. Hi, Georgia. It's Troy Stetcher here. Thank you for labeling me the short king. Vic actually just got the sweatshirt that says Mock Girl Summer. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I'm having a lot of fun. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, it's Georgia here. I'm joined by Mallory and Sam for probably not a typical week on the podcast. Uh, we'll start with a trigger warning that will be maintained through the entire episode. Uh, we will be talking about the Chicago Blackhawk sexual assault scandal, um, Kyle Beach coming forward as John Doe, um, the aftermath of the interview that he did with Rick Westhead and kind of everything up to this point, which is the evening of October 28th. If I have my cards together, you will be listening to this <laughs> very shortly uh, or by at least Friday morning. Um, so yeah, just be warned. I would jump off now if you aren't comfortable with listening to this. Um, and that's totally okay. Uh, this obviously isn't a typical hockey week uh, and it probably won't be for a while. So I think we'll just kind of run through the situation chronologically and then we'll yeah, we'll go from there. This has been a story in hockey since May of this year when uh, who we now know is Kyle Beach uh, filed a civil, I don't know the terminology, Sam, filed. Yeah, it was civil. Civil, a civil lawsuit yeah. against the Chicago Blackhawks in, in Illinois um, that basically laid out everything that ultimately has been corroborated by the report, um, the Jenner and Block report, uh, which was released on Tuesday. This had been kind of bouncing around for a while. Obviously, request had Katie Strang, um, the beat reporters in Chicago, um, particularly um, Mark Lazarus, Ben Pope, uh, Scott Powers, um, had been doggedly kind of going after this. Uh, Obviously, Rick Westhead is kind of the number one face to this, as he was the person who was actually interviewing John Doe, um, Kyle Beach, uh, throughout the summer and into the, obviously, into the early fall. We knew that there was this investigation happening, that the Blackhawks had called for this independent investigation. Uh, no one actually knew when it would be released, and it happened to be on Monday. Uh, the Wurtzes sat down, had a press conference, press conference with, I think it was closed media access, uh, though it then got posted on YouTube, uh, where they introed um, Reed Shar, who was the person, I think, in charge of the investigation, who detailed the findings of the report. And then the Wurtzes read a statement that essentially just kind of acknowledged that the truth of the report, I guess. Um, and then from there, the report was made public. Uh, did you guys read it? I did not. I skimmed it. I didn't read the whole thing. Yeah, I also skimmed it. 
it was, if you had been reading stuff about the case, if you'd been keeping up with it, there was a lot in the report that was not shocking. It essentially outlined the story that John Doe had been maintaining since the beginning. However, there was extra stuff in there that was pretty shocking. Um, the details, particularly of the meeting that took place um, following the Western Conference Championship, uh, which included Joel Quenville, Al McIsaac, John McDonough, Kevin Shoveldayoff, Paul Vincent. Um, I don't think I'm forgetting anyone. I think that's that was everyone at the meeting, which essentially laid out that they would not do anything because they wanted to win the cup, like to boil it down in the most simplest terms, um, that investigating this or firing Aldrich or doing whatever would disrupt team chemistry and needed to be put off. Um, that was kind of the, I think for a lot of people, because you got the the intimate details of it from a variety of people, including Stan Bowman. Um, that was pretty shocking. Uh, Sam, what else did you think surprise surprise you or maybe was just like stood out, I guess? I actually was surprised by how thorough it was. Um, it was a more thorough and damning report than I thought that they would agree to release. Um, I know a lot of people were skeptical about it. Um, although, although like, to be fair, I think there are, I think when, I think that there's a very good question to ask whenever an organization is the one to retain the lawyers doing it, but also most law firms conducting these kinds of internal investigations when they're the major firms that do it have like pretty strict policies and give advice on whether or not um, the report will be credible. And I think in cases like this, where the scope of it was actually quite thorough and the instructions were like made public, it's it's better than, than ones where you can clearly tell it's just like routine. Um, he is, I think the lawyer who did it used to be a U.S. attorney, like he was an AUSA. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I was surprised that it was as thorough as it was, but I don't think they had a choice. Like, I think if it had been anything less than that, they would have been, I mean, they're being dragged anyway, but they would have been dragged for more than this. Do you think that they thought, like, do you think that they honestly thought the results would be different? Like, do you think the words is set out and we're like, we'll be vindicated by this report? Or were they just forced to do it because of public pressure? Like, I'm trying to remember when this happened, like when this arose, I remember the being like, oh, there's an uh, independent investigation, but they originally weren't going to do one. Yeah. They were just dealing with a lawsuit. I think that the degree of outcry and outrage over it was such that they couldn't have avoided it. But I think the fact that, I think the fact that Quenville, Shovel Day Off, and so many of these people went on the record and they weren't like no comment, they were like, I was not aware. 
and fully committed to a story that was then straight up debunked as a lie, I think would suggest to me the inference there is they didn't think people would come forward. They didn't think that there would be 139 witnesses willing to talk to him and that there would be emails disclosed. Like, I think they thought they could get away with it. Like there would be a report, but like there would be enough people who would refuse to cooperate that it wouldn't matter. Yeah. And I think the fact, like somebody was, somebody was saying like, oh, it's not a court case. Like there is no court case where you're ever going to talk to 139 witnesses. That's not affordable. Like 139 witnesses would literally be like more than a year in court before a judge. Like no one can afford that. This was more thorough than probably a court case would have been. Yeah. With that being said, there was a clear narrative both established in the report and in the aftermath. So, uh, like immediately, right with the words is, which was essentially, and has been ongoing, which is essentially, this is all John McDonough's fault. Everyone did what they thought was right. And John McDonough failed them. McDonough, who we should say was fired by the Blackhawks, paid out a very good severance package or was let go. I don't, whatever. Um, two years ago, I think I actually, I think it was in 2020 um, is nowhere to be found. <laughs> like totally gone. Um, but that like that immediately became the real, like Stan Bowman immediately was like, I, I told John McDonough, like John McDonough failed me in his statement. Like that was essentially who's inferring the, the words is uh, immediately going with, it was Stan's first year as a GM, all these kind of things. And then all the way up to what we saw last night, which was uh, Taves and Kane creating this narrative of essentially like turning Stan Bowman into a victim and Al McIsaac into like victims in the situation somehow, um, which completely just loses the entire point. Um, but is so, so reflective of the way that hockey functions in this way. Like, I don't know. It just, I, the, um, the immediacy of it is shocking to me. And it's just going to be pervasive. You Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, both Kane and Taves' statements and Kane made himself available, intentionally made himself available for media yesterday, I believe. Um, and both of them really, we weren't expecting much. And it was as bad or worse then basically what they had said was that they either were not aware or they became aware at a later date. And Taves stated that they were like focused on hockey and winning the cup. And that is why it wasn't the safety of the people around them was not at the forefront of their like concern and it does just speak to such a larger problem and such a larger problem also of just 
not even within hockey, but just in within culture in general, the protection of those that are in power and the interests of those that are in power. And I mean, the whole statement from both Taves and Kane, neither of them really expressed the level of remorse that one would hope to see about their lack of support for John Doe at the time and what the culture was surrounding that, especially in the locker room, because as stated in the report, I believe people were like joking around about it. It wasn't a secret. It was like an open secret. And I just think that Taves is often seen as like a respectable, decent, the decent hockey man. And he's really even placed himself as being that, like he tries to portray himself as that. And so his whole thing where he said that Bowman always treated me well was also bullshit. He also like had a moment in his press conference where he said something about it being so sad that Stan like and Al were losing their livelihoods as if they don't make millions and millions of dollars. And as if Kyle beach lost out on any, like, let alone his like hockey dream, but like the monetary realities of being an NHL player. So like, fuck you. Um, I was going to say, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they ruined his career. He's the only top first round draft pick from his year who never played an NHL game. Yeah. And he also spent years being labeled a bust and like, why, why was Kyle Beach a bust? And like, when you look back on those articles now, it's like really fucking gross. Yeah. So let's go back to the report quickly to just like go over what Mallory said. So the, I don't want to go through like the step-by-step actions of like the assault. You can read it. It's horrific. It's graphic. Like, yeah, it's awful. There's a couple things. So there seems to be like two other than the allegations of the assault and whether that happened or didn't, blah, blah, blah. After that, the conversation is really around the actions of the team or has been kind of predominantly around the actions or non-actions of the team personnel. And similarly, who knew which are tied together in some way, but also expand to the team. Um, Kyle Beach in his interview with Rick Westhead, which we'll get to in a little bit more in depth, said that everyone knew. Um, There was also another player known as Black Ace one or two, shit, now I can't remember, um, in the report, who was also uh, experiencing inappropriate behavior from Aldrich, who had also, who also later on was taunted um, by teammates at a training camp uh, with like homophobic slurs, but also the taunts of where's your boyfriend, Brad, Um, which as every member (laughs) or like a ton of members of the Blackhawks who are no longer playing, which Lauren Kelly pointed out, and I think is actually an important thing to think about 
all have said that everyone knew. That includes Brent Sopel, Nick Boynton, Sean Lalonde. They said that everyone knew. All the players who are still playing in the league refuse to cop up to that. There's no way that, like, there's just so much that doesn't add up when it comes to people like Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves saying stuff like, this didn't happen, or there's no way when you have an equal number of people saying that it did happen, like there's, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this other than the fact that like, yes, this report, I think clarified a lot of things, but it still illustrates that there's a ton to this story that is still left over and that needs to be continues continue to be parsed out. And I think obviously like Rick West is continuing his reporting. And I just think like, as we continue going forward, more has to come out. Like there has to be more coming out. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's very possible that everyone knew is being used very much as a overarching like everyone knew but that doesn't mean every single person within the Blackhawks organization and also I think that the people who I think that kind of I think that the Duncan Keiths and Jonathan Taves I think that they truly believe that they didn't know I don't think that I think there is a willful ignorance in this entire thing. I think that they have convinced, maybe convinced themselves that they didn't know in a situation where they like something was maybe brought up to them and they chose to like block it out and not actually do anything about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, especially when we're talking about like the Hawks cup run and everything, um, how much it valued placing them as exclusively on hockey and not whatever this like exterior um, like complication could be, which is somebody being sexually assaulted. Uh, it's easy to go into that single-mindedness and also people don't want to tell themselves that they're bad people, you know, mm-hmm. it's difficult to be like, Oh, somebody who was a teammate to me was like severely traumatized to this like point, And I did nothing. And now, especially a decade on, it's even easier to like misremember how you are looking at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so just... I'm I'm not like I'm not sitting here and saying that like Tapes is a liar. Like I'm not being like him. I think it's possible that he like just doesn't remember it correctly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there's also it. I, the thing is there's just such a clear disparity between the, the stories 
which mm-hmm. makes me like, so Duncan Keith didn't participate in the report. I don't know about Taves and Kane. I'm going to assume they didn't because like, there's just no sense of not similarity, but like Keith says he didn't know ever until this summer when they filed stuff. Taves said he found out at training camp. Kane's, three months later. Yeah. Three months later. Kane said he kind of knew, but didn't also vehemently denied that he ever knew that Kyle Beach was John Doe, despite apparently being somewhat close to him. And I just, there's just no, there's nothing that's adding up in this situation. Mm -hmm. And it just like, that's where it just gets super fishy. Yeah. And I mean, like, oh, go on. No, I was just like, and so that obviously Andrew Ladd's statement either though. Yeah, I I saw I didn't read it. I'm I'm assuming he said he also didn't know. So he very specifically says I thought this was actually really interesting. He said while it's within the realm of reason to believe that everyone on the team knew, which I I actually was surprised he acknowledged that because I think most people will be like no obviously we didn't, we all didn't know. Like he actually acknowledges that it's reasonable to think that. He said he specifically did not know anything about it during the playoffs. He doesn't say if he ever knew or when he found out, but he says, I didn't know during the time that it was happening. But he was traded like three weeks later. Hmm. Like he was traded yeah. like three weeks after the playoffs. Well, because Duncan Keith said he 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 found out Aldridge had gone because he showed up to training camp and he wasn't there. And he was like, yeah. that's kind of weird because it was <laughs> and asked. And they told him that, Aldrich had uh, struggled with the NHL schedule and was going to college hockey instead because it worked better with him. Yeah. Moving on from the, yeah. This what did people on. know and when did they know it? That yeah. whole thing that we can get into. Well, we did get into, but like you could just go in circles for mm-hmm. ages. The, I mean, every single thing that happens in this entire story is just Sorry, one just fired handling of they a thing. officially after fired him? Yeah. Is he replaced by... Andrew Burnett's their new interim head coach. Hmm. Yeah, Sorry, okay. So, but moving um, away from the, what did people know? When did they know it? Which we can go in circles in. Yeah. The mishandling on so many levels is that even having Aldrich eventually leave the team they then put him in another environment. It wasn't a situation where he was, he was recommended for another job. It wasn't yeah, like by the Blackhawks organization and they well, knew he was maybe not a serial predator at that time, but they knew he had assaulted someone so that is the next in line of well the other thing that's things the other thing that the report revealed is that um shortly after uh kyle beach came forward and disclosed the assault to paul vincent that then went up the chain of command um and nothing happened uh, Brad Aldrich assaulted an intern 
with the Blackhawks. Um, I think it was described as like unwanted advances. Um, And so it happened immediately. And that was also never dealt with. And then he went on to obviously, uh, I think he was with Miami University first and then Notre Dame. Notre Dame, who's refusing to give up any of their records, Kelsey Paris. Um, And then obviously to Michigan. Um, I think if I remember, there was something about his time at Miami University that came out maybe, but um, obviously the Michigan team one is the kind of thing that kickstarted this off in terms of uh, Kyle Beach deciding to file um, the civil lawsuit. Um, so the other thing that the report did, and I think this is a completely fair criticism, is it essentially doxed Kyle Beach's John Doe. Um, they listed his age, player status, um, height, weight, this alongside the fact that there was already stuff about him playing in Austria and um, other places in Europe uh, made it extremely easy for people to figure out who this was. Um, And so uh, yesterday uh, Beach sat down with an inter for an interview with Rick Westhead. Um, I had to stop the interview multiple times. Um, I didn't watch it live. I was actually in office hours with my students. Um, I had to pause it a bunch of times. It was heartbreaking. It was just like, it was heavy. Um, So much, like the bravery Kyle Beach showed is like, there's no words. I also want to take a second to commend Rick Westhead's like comfort and care that he showed in his questioning. Like he, he navigated it with such grace and yeah, with such care, um, which is not always the way that kind of reporters go about this kind of stuff. So um, that's also to be commended. And this interview, I think the report was damning. And I think it woke a lot of people up, but there is something to be said whether or not, and this, this shouldn't be the case. I'm not saying that this is good, but there's something to be said about a face being attached, um, to John Doe's actual identity, um, that causes people to confront things in different ways. And when you actually witness someone, um, essentially like go through their most traumatic experience ever. Um, you're forced to not turn away. You can't brush it aside. You can't collapse it under this like anonymous identity. Um, and I think that's what happened to a lot of people, uh, last night. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on the interview? Um, There has been like an outpouring of support um, for Kyle Beach and um, Ellie Raisman showed her support, uh, which obviously she has um, been in and out of court with the 
uh, USA Gymnastics abuse cases. Um, but it is so difficult and so unfair that he was kind of forced to publicly go through his trauma and I, I agree with Georgia that people might be able to conceptualize it in a different way as opposed to just having a John Doe situation. Um, but I do greatly feel for him who didn't seem like he had this interview all planned. I don't know, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if he planned on coming out as John Doe, but regardless, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to go through all of this very publicly with your name attached and have however many people you're opening up yourself up to criticism as well as support in this entire thing. And it's just very difficult. Yeah. And especially interview... because oh, I was, I was just going to say, especially because the, um, a lot of people want all of the details of your trauma in order to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you say like this happened but I need for you to like specify all of this, which obviously has happened due to this giant report, but I can't imagine how difficult that is for him. Carry on Georgia. Oh, I was just going to say in terms of him, um, whether or not like this was planned, he did insinuate in the interview, like he didn't outright say it, but he did insinuate that like one of the reasons he was coming forward is because his name was already out there. Like people already knew it was him. Um, and so there is, there is merit to the conversation about whether or not like, or how he came to this decision. Um, and you know what, maybe it was his choice and he was ready and, um, but who knows? Anyway, sorry, Sam, go ahead. I was just going to say, I agree with you. It was, it was really hard to watch. And I thought Rick did an incredible job of approaching it with care and like giving him space when there were difficult questions. Um, for me, I thought, I think the thing that's stood out to me, and I, I said this already on Twitter, but of every single person who has been involved in this entire investigative process and the allegations, Kyle Beach as John Doe and as the survivor and as a, as a victim of assault, of sexual abuse, showed more regret and remorse for not doing more and speaking up to prevent the Michigan high school student from subsequently being assaulted than any other person in the Blackhawks organization to date, including, and I thought that the optics of, not just the optics, but like the, the level of human decency and empathy you have to be missing 
to have Quenville on the bench 30 minutes later in the Florida game to have the statements that Taves and Kane gave after the Leafs game last night saying Stan Bowman is a good man coming on the heels of that interview, I thought was like, they look depraved. Like, I don't understand how you can watch that. See how responsible and guilty he feels, notwithstanding that he was also a survivor here. And these people are just like, yeah, but Stan Bowman was great to me personally. Like, I, I genuinely just don't understand how you, how you, process everything that happened and think that that's an appropriate response. I don't have an answer. <laughs> like the Sam Bowman is a good man. Rhetoric was just like off the charts. Like I saw the original tweet summarizing Taves' answer and then like read the whole thing that Ben Pope posted. And it was like, I didn't think this could actually get worse, but this is possibly the worst answer I've ever seen in relation to anything. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, yeah, especially the amount of people who also like commented, but, but they would be like, I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, Vita's interview particular, like, the the whiplash between him saying and outlining like Joel Quenville knew and then Joel Quenville was behind the bench and obviously as we've recently found out he's now been fired um following a um interview with Gary Bettman the commissioner um which happened at I think two o'clock eastern time today but he just got fired by um Florida replaced by Andrew Burnett. Um, why was he behind the bench? Like other than a potential lawyer telling him it was a admission of guilt in some way, like what the fuck were the Florida Panthers doing? And then after the game, he didn't even come out to do media. Bill Zito just stood there and read a fucking PR statement. Like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Like, I don't understand at no point in any of this situation has anyone shown what the NHL holds as it's like hallmarks of like its identity of leadership and courage. And like, other than Kyle beach, every single person who's in a position of power has like, just like, fucked up so hard and in such damning and damaging ways. Like I, it's, it's just unfathomable that he was behind the bench and then 24 hours later he's fired. Like it's just anyway. Um, yeah. It's there ridiculous. is a clearing of house that I have never seen. Um, I mean, this is the closest they're going to come to clearing house the people that have been let go or resigned under circumstances. Pretty much. I don't think that there is a way that you can get out of it. If you are 
Yeah. Like, I think that it is such, it's been blown up to the point where there's no way you're going to retain your job. Um, Yeah. So we'll see with Shovel Day off, who's now, his thing has been moved to tomorrow. Um, Yeah, it's. Which is obviously a step in the right direction, but it is still absurd. So what do you guys think about what actually, like what the league did to the Chicago Blackhawks, which is fine them $2 million? I think it's a joke. Yeah. Somebody somebody did the math on it. It's like, it's equivalent to a $57 fine for someone making the average median income in the USA. Yeah, that was at Leafspan, I think. Yeah. Um, $2 million for... 11 years of a cover-up that resulted in a 16-year-old getting sexually assaulted. And the thing is that they've handed out larger fines for much. For cap circumvention and much less. Mr. Booth Um, tweeted at one point, he was like, it's good to know that uh, if you cover up sex assault, it's basically the financial equivalent of telling George Peros that he's a poopy pants like eight times. And that that's actually the math for it. Jesus. I think yeah, like, obviously there's no like monetary hit that is actually would really that's gonna make these people not be assaulted. But you have like, to set a precedent. Happen, but the like, thing is that there's the precedent and all of the things, and it shows their priority, where their priorities lie, mm-hmm. and how seriously they're taking it, which so far has seemed very, very unserious. And obviously with Quenville coaching last night, I mean, he did lose his job, but that is another frustration is that people who have seen this people who have who are survivors people who just have a conscious conscience they are also seeing what the nhl is like and where their priorities lie so where do you go from here and i know that's like a super broad question but like i think the last three days for a lot of people has been like so like seismically shifting for them in a lot of ways and I think for a lot of people it's been um equally unsurprising because of the kind of last particularly like the last year um with the NHL, but then also just like the long legacy of just the reality, like this is what happens in this sport. And like, also, I know people keep talking about like, oh, it's not just a hockey issue. It's like a broader issue. It's a sports issue. It's a, um, it's a societal issue. And I think that's true. But I think what the report really showed is that there were specific hockey culture things at play in this particular case that yes, intersected with larger societal issues um, in regards to sexual assault, um, but you can't ignore those. Whether it's the culture of winning and the specific brand of NHL winning, whether it's the reality of the precarity of uh, AHL hockey players and draft picks, 
whether it's like all these different things that came into play here. But like, where do we like, where do we go from here now? Suddenly, apparently we have all the hockey media on the side of NHL culture has to change, which where were you guys? Like (laughs) we've been talking about this for a while, but now apparently all the media, all the NHL insiders are on this side. So like, I don't know. I I have to say, sorry, Pierre Lebrun wrote an article today saying I'm now questioning whether I should have done things differently. It's October the 28th. It's October the 28th. It it did not take you until today to realize this. Like that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Um, There's been an apology tour from all of them. Frank Cervelli, Darren Dreger, um, I think Chris Johnson today. Um, Like they all have apologized for not doing more blah, 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 blah. But like, it's so impressive that they all managed to break all the news about the firing and who was taking over. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah. Um, but like, like what, what, where do we go? Like what happens? Like, I don't like, is this cause the, the thing is, and people kept bringing this up. Sheldon Kennedy was supposed to be the moment that happened like 25 years ago with Graham James and that whole situation. This was supposed to never happen again. And then obviously it's, it happened again. Um, and it has happened again. And this Kyle Beach thing, people keep saying this has to be the last time, but like, yeah, it's a giant question. And I don't think I just answer it, but, um, yeah, the greater accountability and having these media members who are now asking and saying that they needed to do better to actually do better and actually have that like level of accountability and people to not be turning a blind eye for access and all of that. And then obviously general things throughout teams beyond like actual people that are like in the media, keeping them accountable. There's a huge issue there. And we've talked about issues in junior hockey and all of this. So like, as we've said that it cuts deep and since we're talking about it and we've talked about how it's even a deeper societal issue, I, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. Like, I just, I just don't trust like a league run by Gary Bettman and a PA run by Donald Fair who did nothing either like at the time in the case of Donald Fear, who knows about Gary Bettman, but then also in June when they asked for an investigation to take place with the NHL and they did nothing, why would we ever feel confident that going forward things would change? Yeah. Because they have a hotline. They have a fucking hotline and they sent out a memo. Like what? I just like, I don't know what to say other than like, you have to burn this shit to the ground. And the, I guess people have been pointing to this as like a sign of hope is like Alex Dabrinkat had a really good response when asked about it. He's like a young player. And it's like, Alex Dabrinkat's not (laughs) going to fix this entire problem. Uh, So like, I don't know. It just. Yeah, I, I'm I'm skeptical. I'm with you. I, all of their solutions so far have been 
to depend on Gary Bettman. So there's, they sent out a memo on culture and saying, oh, you should be reporting inappropriate conduct to Gary Bettman and Bill Daly immediately. Like, sorry, that's reporting immediately is a, the most superficial response that you teach to like a five-year-old. Like, you, you should know that. You shouldn't require a memo to do that. And it ignores the reality that it puts the onus on somebody who has been assaulted to come forward and the inherent problems with doing that. Like, it's not a very realistic suggestion to begin with. They don't with. even have a sexual assault policy. Exactly. <laughs> like, And then the next thing is uh, Stan Bowman's not allowed to have a job again unless he has a meeting with Gary and Gary says it's okay. And they just issued a statement saying Quenville subject to the same restriction. There's, there's not going to be any further punishment for Quenville at this time, but if he ever wants to be in the NHL again, he's going to have to meet with Gary and Gary's going to have to give him the okay. Like, sorry, I don't think I should be required to depend on the judgment of Gary Bettman to know whether or not these people are going to be in the league again. I think that's bullshit. I think it's, like it's a ridiculous onus to put on on him and like what like the man's like what 60 70 he's not going to be the commissioner forever like what's what is your actual process here there isn't one it's just completely arbitrary and the fact that they think that this is a sufficient response and that there isn't some kind of institutional or systematic policy or change tells you how not seriously they're taking it I'm willing to bet a lot of money that I go through more disclosure tra- disclosure training as a graduate student TA than any of the league personnel, like like any GM in the NHL. I'm willing to bet. Yeah. And like, that's not necessarily going to solve the problem, but like, it's something like you have to figure this shit out. And I guess, yeah, the Gary Bettman thing, like, why would anyone trust a guy who like is denying the links between CTE and concussions can barely settle the lawsuits with the concussion class action lawsuit or the concussion class action class action suit. It has like, no, like is literally just there on behalf of the owners. Meanwhile, Donald, Donald fears just fucking off. Like, passing off the buck again onto a doctor for the reason why this wasn't actually like carried out by the NHLPA. And it's like, why would anyone trust these people? Like, is the people in power that failed everyone that failed Kyle Beach? It's like, why would anyone trust them that they're going to do the right thing and actually guide this ship towards whatever we want hockey to actually be like, I don't know. Um, any last thoughts about all of this? Before Mallory's computer dies. <laughs> it's close. Um, I mean, no, I don't have any last thoughts. It's just, it's very bad. It's very triggering. And if you want to stop watching hockey, fucking do it. <laughs> like, seriously, I would like not blame anyone for just, like this combined with the fucking like pain medications, like stuff, like 
um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been a lot. The Mayu stuff, like everything, um, it's been a lot. And so, yeah, <laughs> like if you want to bail, <laughs> go forth, free yourself. Go forth. Yeah. Yeah. We want to change hockey culture because we like hockey, but is it? It's really hard to like. Work? <laughs> even trying I don't know <laughs> yeah the eternal question all right well, um hopefully our three stars of the week are just all going to Cal Beach yes um like Leia once again there's like no words for everything that he had to go through and like it shouldn't have taken him laying out his most traumatic moment for this shit to get done. Um, but it did. And he was brave enough to do that. So three stars go to him. Um, as always, you can follow us on all the social platforms at Broadcast Pod. Um, subscribe to our Patreon. We still have to record the spooky NHL bonus thing this weekend maybe i don't know sometime soon our newsletter is coming out also um soon it's been a week <laughs> it's been a week um I think, I think it's been a year <laughs> what sam i was gonna say i think we should just do um do the newsletter like early next week because we can rank all the halloween costumes Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe. Maybe we'll do that. All right. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening. We love you lots. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.